Thank you, Kobe, for bringing your parents to church today. That was what I told them when I asked them if they would uh, read scripture. My name is Dave. I'm one of the ministers on staff here, and uh, we do want to uh, welcome you uh, to our service today, uh, just so that we can uh, get better acquainted with each other. Uh, if you're wearing multiple pairs of socks, would you please raise your hand? Uh, you know, today we are talking about the subject of joy. And uh, I realize that we haven't heard much, even though our series says, uh, beware of the Grinch and watch out for the Grinch. We haven't heard much about the Grinch. And I, and I just thought, well, maybe we should, we should understand a little bit more about who it is that we need to be watching out for. And so I'm going to use some words from Dr. Seuss in the song. And, and this is what we have to watch out for. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. Mr. Grinch, you're a bad banana. And a big, greasy, black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. Now, Mr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss, really has some colorful language, and he's able to express how evil Mr. Grinch is. The problem that I think we sometimes have is that we don't really see our enemy as all that dangerous. But hopefully, if you've been here through our series, this is the third week in our series, uh, that you have really come to have an, a deeper understanding, more greater awareness of just who our enemy is and who this thief is. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we understand that Jesus gives us this explanation of the thief, the enemy. The thief comes only to steal kill and destroy, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And I, I would really encourage you, if you have your Bible uh, or whatever device you're reading from, to highlight, underline that word only. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, destroy. You see, the thief is not just some lovable scallywag the thief does not have good qualities and bad. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. And that's what's important for us to understand as we think about joy. It's interesting that 53 verses in the book of Psalms mention joy. 32 verses in Isaiah. 15 verses in Proverbs. 23 verses in the Gospel. All mention the subject of joy. And joy is mentioned, obviously, throughout the rest of the Old and New Testament as well. And so to help us focus on the joy of Christmas, uh, I'd like for us to begin with our story in Luke chapter 2 as we talk about the shepherds. But before we begin reading about the shepherds in Luke 2 verse 8, let's take a look at the first three verses, beginning in verse 1, Luke chapter 2. 
In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. There's more than just history there. These short verses tell us, first of all, there was not much joy in Israel at that time. We learn from history that Caesar Augustus had come to power. He had actually changed the form of government from a republic to an imperial form of government. Caesar Augustus was the first Caesar to lead in that way. Caesar Augustus was the nephew and then later adopted son of Julius Caesar, also known as Octavius. And when he came to power, this census was his way of finding out what his tax base would be. It was not a happy time. It was not a joy-filled time. And so this was Caesar Augustus. He established what came to be known as Pax Romana, as Roman peace, the peace of Rome. Now, there were probably no conversations on the street saying, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem while we're there to register for, to be taxed? That probably was not the conversation. But I kind of think that perhaps that was the conversation on the lips of heaven. Because it must have been a buzz in heaven because people were saying, or the angels were saying, we're getting ready to go announce the birth of Christ. The Messiah is getting ready to go to earth. The Lord God is going to be born of a virgin in a stable. And all of heaven must have been wondering what was going to take place at that time. So now let's begin reading in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. So today, you see in your bulletin the uh, sermon page. If you want to follow along, take some notes. Today, I want us to focus on, on four things that we can learn from the shepherds that will protect us from what I call the stolen joy syndrome. Four things that I think will be very important. And the first step in protecting your joy that we learn from the shepherds is to believe. And I'm not talking about just believing their eyes. The shepherds might have even said, I can't believe what I'm seeing. But they were believing the message. They believed the message because it was more than just an address about where a baby was going to be born. I mean, yes, that's what they were told. But there was more to it than that. The angel's message was a fulfillment of prophecy. With the details of that message, while those details might be overlooked in, in our culture, they certainly weren't overlooked in the culture of the shepherds. They certainly weren't overlooked in Israel. 
because those details announced the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. The shepherds believed the message because it met the criteria for the promise. The town of David, a Savior, the Anointed One, the Lord, coming as a baby, all prophesied by the prophets through centuries. And it met it, and it all came together in this one event. They believed because of the prophetic evidence that surrounded the message of good news. So, what does the thief use to steal the joy of believing? He uses doubt. Have you noticed that it seems that perhaps it has become more acceptable to be more cynical about Christmas this year? I think the decline in spirituality at Christmas coincides with the rise in secularism in our culture. Think about it this way. In the pre-modern world, it was impossible not to believe because faith provided the only explanation for the world, its origins, and the moral standards we live by. In the modern age, it became possible not to believe Because we were told that science would provide alternative explanations for the world and for our place in it. But for today, in our postmodern age, it is almost impossible to believe. The postmodern denial of objective truth takes away from the church's moral authority. The secular world seems to portray Christian faith as homophobic as prejudiced, as ignorant, and as harmful to society. To that culture, the celebration of the birth of Christ has become a holiday in which to mock those who still believe those archaic things. I read about a a Christmas card recently that on the cover of the Christmas card, it had the picture of the nativity. You know, the manger, Mary, Joseph, stable, all of that. That was the picture, the picture of the nativity. But under it, the caption under that picture said the naivety, naive, to believe that. And so they had actually made a Christmas card with the picture, but then captioned it with naivety. The shepherds could have tried to explain that what they had seen was the result of sleep deprivation, or some kind of meteorological phenomenon. But they believed the message. They believed the message that the angels shared with them. And so our question today is, if your joy is under attack, do you need to reinforce your belief? Do you need to exercise your belief in the message? And the next step in protecting your joy then is to act. Luke 2.15 says that when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. The shepherds believed what the Lord told them, and their action was confirmation of their belief. It doesn't matter what you say you believe. It is what you do about it that demonstrates your belief 
or your denial. In our culture, we would often say, actions speak louder than words. So, what does the thief use to steal the joy of acting? He uses fear. The shepherds were afraid until they understood the message. The angels told them not to be afraid, then gave them reasons not to be afraid. But if fear is attacking your joy, then perhaps you need to examine the source of your fear. Why are you afraid? Perhaps you're afraid because uh, you you don't want others to know what you believe. Uh, Are you afraid because of others what might think or say if you act upon your belief? Are you afraid to act because you realize that the outcome may be beyond your control? You believe that God has called you and you accept Him. And then you, be, then you say, God, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do. But fear creeps in. What if God asks me to do something that I'm not sure I can do? And so fear begins to steal my joy of the message that God has given me. The writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to Him, that's an action, coming to God, must believe that He exists and that He rewards, that God also acts, rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Here's something interesting also. I find James, the brother of Jesus, asked the question, what good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? And then he goes on to say, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And then he concludes by saying, I will show you my faith by what I do. First chapter of the book of James. We have to remember that faith that does not engage the world is not a biblical faith. And to engage the world means that I take my faith And I act upon it within the world for the sake of Christ to accomplish that which God has called us to do. Are you willing to act on the message that God has given to you? The third step in protecting our joy then is to experience. And this is perhaps the most difficult one because we live in a culture of sensory overload. Uh, We have so many experiences that we may become numbed to the most important experiences in our life, the ones that God wants us to have. The shepherds had the awesome experience of seeing and hearing the heavenly angels. That experience was at first filled with fear. They needed to be assured, but that wasn't their only experience. In verse 16... Luke chapter 2, we read, So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Now we're going to come back to the intervening verses, but I want to skip down to verse 20. So if you're following in your Bible, skip to verse 20. And in verse 20 we read, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Okay, get this picture. In verse 16 and verse 20, 
We have the accounts of the shepherd going to find the Christ child and then their return home. Think with me for a moment about those two journeys, what they experienced. What was different about the going and the returning? One was filled with anticipation. The other with fulfillment. One was filled with questions. The other with greater understanding. We also need to recognize that the journey was just as much a part of the experience as was the time spent with Mary and Joseph and the baby. Have you ever attended... Uh, an exciting ball game with friends, and the trip home was filled with, with thrilling recollections of the plays that stood out. Uh, maybe you finally got to attend a much-anticipated concert, or you got to go to a play, or, or you got to hear someone speak, or you got to attend a movie. And on your way home, your conversations are filled with the accounts of your favorite highlights from whatever that event was. That was an important part of that experience, is it? Isn't it? That, that was a part of the experience. Don't overlook the fact that the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. That's what the scripture says. They were glorifying and praising God for their experiences, for all the things they had seen and heard. And I want you to notice this. The shepherds were doing the same thing as the angels were. When the angels appeared, they were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. They were glorifying God. And the shepherds, after having had the same experience, returning home, were praising God, were glorifying and praising God. Now here's, here's a problem that may affect our joy when it comes to our experience. And that is this. So many times we find ourselves focused on the destination. When I get out of school, uh, when I get a real job, when I get a place of my own, uh, when, I, when I get financially secure, when I get well, when I retire, all of the destinations, But part of the joy for the shepherds was the journey, not just the destination. The destination was critically important. They wanted to see the Christ of whom the angels had spoken. But part of the experience was the time spent anticipating, contemplating, reflecting. And don't overlook the importance of this phrase. Just as they had been told. Part of the joy of believing is that it is fulfilled. Veracity, credibility are huge factors in our experience and that allows us to encounter it with great joy as well. So, what does the thief use to steal the joy of our experience? Well, I, I would suggest that he uses blindness and he uses spiritual blindness and that's perhaps the worst kind of blindness. In 2 Kings, think about this, in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 6, Elisha prays for the Lord to open the eyes of his servant so that he might see that, and to quote, those who are with us are more than those who are with them, than those who are with the enemy. That's that kind of blindness 
will steal our joy. If I don't see what God is really doing, if I, if I cannot comprehend, if, I, if I, my eyes are closed to the things that God is doing, then the evil one, the enemy, will come in and try to steal my joy. Sometimes the pain of life blurs our vision of what God is doing all around us. And too often we become so distracted that we don't see what God is doing. The volume level of life is so loud it drowns out the message that God wants us to hear. Again, in 1 Kings, this time with Elijah, remember that God spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper. If we live in a world that is so loud, we can miss the message. We can miss the things that God is saying to us and we lose our joy in that exchange. The psalmist reminds us that God calls us to be still and to know, to experience the very presence of God. So are you willing to experience the message of what God is saying? Now, before we move on to verses 17 and 18, I want you to know that I've intentionally skipped verse 19. If you've got your Bible or you've got it open, I intentionally skipped verse 19 because it's not about the shepherds. It's about Mary. But I think it is one of the most poignant aspects of Mary's life and things that it says about her And it does relate to the joy of experiencing. Verse 19 tells us that Mary pondered all the things the shepherds told her. That's a part of the experience. It was Mary's experience, not the shepherds. But but there is this concept of, I need to take in all of the experiences. Why do we do so many things with color and sound and, and action? so that we might have that experience, but then I need to process that experience. Part of the experiencing the joy comes when we ponder and reflect and meditate on what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. The last step in protecting your joy is tell. Again, this is what the shepherds did. Verse 17 and 18. When they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. A beautiful way to protect and enhance your joy is to tell the story. To tell your story. To tell of your encounter with the Christ child. And then to tell it repeatedly. Think about the timeline of the shepherds. What we read in our, in our text today. In that timeline, they had bedded down their flocks for the night in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. Suddenly the night sky is ablaze with the angels singing and telling them the story of the birth of the Christ child. They hurry into town, find Mary and Joseph and the baby, just as they had been told. But to whom... Are they spreading the word about what had been told them and of what they had seen? Well, the answer seems to be to anybody that they encountered, 
to everyone that they encountered. Now, of course, they related the story to Mary and Joseph. But it, it seems that they told it to others as well. You see, the story is too good to keep just to yourself. And there is great joy in being able to tell that story. To be able to tell the story is allowing you to experience the joy once more of that event. There is joy in telling it. In Acts chapter 4, we read about Peter and John preaching in the temple. And they were arrested. And they spent the night in jail. And the next morning they were brought into the Sanhedrin court. And they were questioned. And then they were instructed to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. But in verse 19 of Acts chapter 4, we read this. Peter and John's response, and I love their response. Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. You know what, that's a, that's a real good question for us to use to evaluate what's going on in our life. Is it right in God's sight? And just about any event that you've got going on can probably be responded to with that question. Is it right, the things I've been asked to do, is it right in God's sight? The things that, that, I, that I want to accomplish in God's sight, is that the best thing for me to do? The things that I want to accumulate in God's sight, are those the things that will really matter? But then in verse 20, Peter and John said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were telling the story. I know you're telling us that we should not preach about the name of Jesus anymore. But your honor, let me tell you, I can't help it. I can't help but tell you about what we have seen and heard. And that seems to be the description of the shepherds. They were so filled with joy that they couldn't keep from telling the story. And in verse 18 in our text, there in Luke 2, all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You see, when there is great joy in telling the story and other people begin to hear the story, they begin to have this sense of amazement at what is taking place. And hopefully that amazement will then, will then be translated into, I believe that story. I'm going to act upon that story. I am going to experience this myself. And then I'll tell it to somebody else. That's what God has called us to do. And that is the source of our joy. Now we realize that we're in the Advent season and we're greatly focused on the birth of Christ, but we celebrate the coming of the Christ child and at the same time we anticipate the second coming of the Christ child. Only this time when He returns, He's not coming as the Savior. He's coming as the King. He's coming as the one who will judge the earth. The first time He came, He came to be our Savior. When He returns, it will be our judge. It will be our King. It will be a time to celebrate 
the fact that we have experienced the joy of being a follower of Christ all our life. And while we focus on the future, we have to be fully cognizant of the present. And that means that we are cognizant of the brokenness that surrounds us. The reason we need to tell the story of great joy is because there is so much hopelessness. There is so much joylessness in the world around us. And the world needs the joy that only Jesus can provide. So what does the thief use to steal our joy from telling? Well, he'll use complacency if we're not careful. The enemy tells us, nobody's interested in that old Christmas story anymore. Don't keep telling that same old story. Nobody cares. And then the enemy also will say, you need to let somebody else tell the story. They can do a better job than you. Don't don't even try to tell the story. Let somebody else tell the story. What were the qualifications of the shepherds? They simply were telling the story they'd been told. That's the only qualification required. You are a capable storyteller because you have heard the message. So tell the story. Don't let complacency make you doubt the fact that God wants you, wants you to tell the story. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter describes the urgency of the prophets as they told the message of salvation. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, 1 Peter, he concludes by saying, even the angels long to look into these things. And who was it that got the chance to tell the story to the shepherds? The angels. They wanted to tell the story. God sent Gabriel to go to a girl named Mary And he sent him to a guy named Joseph. And he showed up and and spoke to a guy named Zechariah. They wanted to be a part of telling the story. And they couldn't all go, but that night in the shepherd's fields, all of heaven lit up. And all of them began to tell the story with great joy. And when you think about the story of the birth of Christ, how many people are really involved in telling that story. Think about that for a moment. Well, you got the angels, and we got the shepherds. But who else? Who else is involved in telling the Christmas story? Well, see, we got the wise men. They show up later, but they've got the wise men. How about a guy named Simeon in the temple? And Anna? What about the story that Elizabeth got to tell Mary? Don't leave out the prophets. Don't leave out the Holy Spirit. Lots of people had the opportunity to tell the story because it was so full of joy in telling. And I want us to understand this, that part of that story is the story of how God has worked in you. You heard the story about the Christ child. You heard the story about the fact that as he grew, became a man, lived among us, a sinless life, taught, 
was crucified, was raised to life, was seen by many people, has ascended, and the last thing he said before he left was, I'm coming back. And you begin to think about that story and you begin to understand the credibility of that story and you begin to allow your life to be affected by that story. You believe that story. You act upon that story. You experience what it is to live a life of faith. And you tell that story. And the message of how God has worked in you is just as much an important part of the story as is what we've just told you about the birth of Christ. So now as we prepare to pray, I want you to reflect a few minutes on these questions. Praise team will be coming. Maybe just bow your head. Just listen to the question. And the first question is this. Are you today suffering from stolen joy syndrome? Is there a lack of joy in your life, in your heart today? And is the step that you need to take to recapture, to renew, or to experience for the first time the joy that Jesus offers? Does it have something to do with your need to overcome doubt and believe the story? Do you need to recapture your joy and overcome your fear and take some steps, take some actions that demonstrate what you believe about Jesus? Is there an action step that you need to take today? Maybe that action step is coming to Christ for the very first time and confessing Him as Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe it is time for you to be baptized into Christ. What other action steps need to be taken so that you can experience again the joy that God has in store for you? Maybe, maybe your joy has been captured because you've been blinded by all of the experiences in the world around you and you've missed the experience of just Jesus and experiencing His presence. Maybe today your joy will be reinforced because you will say from now on, God, every time you give me a chance, I'm going to tell the story. Father, you know the hearts that are here. You know the needs that we all face. Father, I pray that in these moments that your Holy Spirit will be given the opportunity to really work in our hearts that we will be sensitive to the prompting that you give to us by the power of your Holy Spirit to respond to you, to recognize that joy is available to us 
only through Jesus, but that it is available to us even today. In Jesus' name I pray.